Hey y'all, I'm Maddie, author, speaker, and certified sommelier. I think we can all agree that life can get pretty tough at times. So I'm going on a journey to uncover how some of my favorite people are chasing joy in their lives. And I'm bringing you along with me. Through personal stories and funny encounters, I'm chatting with authors and entrepreneurs, musicians and brands to learn how they hang on to the good in life, even as the trouble comes. Because as life gets hard, joy is a choice we can make together. I'm Maddie, and this is the Enjoy Life Podcast. Welcome back, you guys. This week is really special to me. Our guest is Scott Sauls, and you may have read one of his many, many books. Um, He's an esteemed author and Bible teacher, and he is the senior pastor at my church here in Nashville. So he has inspired me as a professional and then has walked really close personally with me through my losses and my griefs and even has encouraged and championed me with Lemons last year. I mean, he just has been a cheerleader for me in so many ways. Um, And I'm really excited to share his wisdom with y'all today. Um, We touch at the beginning, which I'm super grateful for, on what our role as Christians is in politics. On the internet in real life, Scott has spoken often and convictingly and gently publicly about how we are to enter into political conversations, the political sphere as believers. And that, as he says, we're not called to ignore politics, but we are called to redeem them and what that looks like and what it demands of us and why it's hard and why it's worth it. It's, like I said, convicting and inspiring. And I'm so grateful for him touching on that with us because it's really hard. It's really hard. And I've done it poorly. And I hope to do it better as I continue to learn from him and others. Mostly, we talk about his most recent book called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. And listen to this subtitle. So awesome. It says, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. And the three sort of touch points of the book are on those three pain points. Regret, meaning shame and guilt. Hurt, we focus a lot on grief and what does that look like in terms of an actual potential ground for even more hope and even more purpose and even more joy when we walk it well with God. He describes to us spiritually and really practically how we can, as he says, become people who are able to live fully even in a tragic place. I mean, it is so powerful. I think the theme of our whole conversation became this term that I'm going to hang on to forever, and it's joyful defiance. He says that as followers of Christ, we have an opportunity to live in hope in the face of hardship, and that that is a joyful defiance that fights against the world's darkness. I can't tell you how rich and how inspiring this conversation was for me, and I know whatever you're walking through, it will be for you too. So you guys enjoy this chat with Pastor Scott Sauls. Scott, welcome to the the quote-unquote studio. Maddie, thank you. I really appreciate you being here. I get to hear from you a lot as my pastor, but we don't get to have one-on-one conversations that often. So this is really special for me. This is fun. Me too. So because the show is about joy and because we're in Music City, how I like to start is by asking the guest... If there was a walkout song to your life right now, as is, you know, the tradition in baseball, what would be playing behind you as we go into 2023? I don't know what the title of the song is or the artist, but it would be the 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 theme song for the Napoleon Dynamite dance at the end <laughs> of the movie. Because I just always feel awkward. And, <laughs> so and, good. and I love uh, a good underdog story. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, that, I love that. that's an easy one. It that's didn't even take more than five seconds to think about what the answer to that was. <laughs> I swear to you, the hardest top three hardest I've ever seen my dad laugh is watching that movie as a kid. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the scene where he's trying to like wrangle those chickens mm-hmm. and they're just going berserk. I mean, mm-hmm. he had tears coming down his face for like five to eight minutes. I think Mm -hmm. because that had been, he had had an experience like that in his childhood. Okay. 
But for some reason, I don't. That struck him too. I think he's always been a little. He's a very shy guy who I don't uh-huh. know always feels his place. So he I got gotcha. you. with that. Well, there are a lot of relatable moments in that. <laughs> I, I I don't know if if it's in the echelon where you could actually call it a film, right? But but right. <laughs> but. but <laughs> But there are a lot of those moments that sort of catch you off guard of that because they're so relatable in you know to our awkwardness. Totally. Um, yeah. Are you a musician? I dare not say I'm a musician while sitting on square footage in Nashville, Tennessee. Of course, of course. Uh, especially to the daughter of Alan Jackson, but I do play guitar. <laughs> That's what uh, I thought. And and uh, I play it very sparingly and in a very mediocre way, but, yes. but I enjoy it. Well, I identify with that. That's a little more of a prop over there in the corner, nice. but I can stumble across a few chords <laughs> and sing along pretty often. Yeah. But but I love it. So that's fun. Bully and Dynamite, I'll have to tell them. So as our token kind of pastor for the first season, which I'm so glad since you are my real life pastor. Glad to be a token pastor and represent, <laughs> yeah. I do want to ask just, just not with a loaded question to start with, but I want to know at this point, end of 22, beginning of 23, what is exciting you as a pastor about the faith community and what's grieving you about it? Yeah, I mean, what's exciting me, Maddie, is that the message that we we get to carry and to preach and to absorb personally is always a message that points to hope and that always this is a huge part of your story learning what it means in a very personal way to always live with the understanding that you know as tolkien famously wrote everything sad will come untrue the best days of our lives are always ahead of us and never behind us, no matter how great the season is that we might be in right now or how difficult. The best days are always future. So I I can't help but hope. I can't help but keep getting up and continuing to do the thing I do. And yet what grieves me is how easy it is I mean, I'll just start with myself, and I I think this is, is probably characteristic, especially in the last couple of years, when everybody's absorbing so much hard with pandemics and political unrest and all the rest, is how how rare it is that we actually access that reality on a personal, visceral, kind of everyday, every moment level. And it almost seems as if we've got to go through a terrible crisis in order to even want it, you know, in, in yeah. order to even want to live in light of hope, because I think we live in this fantasy that somehow we can create you know, heaven on earth, you know, on our own, apart from God and apart from the resource of his wonderful promises. And, and so I don't know, I, I think my, my biggest frustration with myself is, is just, it's right there. And, and yet, yet I don't access it nearly as often as, as I would like to. And I think that's pretty common. Yeah. Um, and as a result, we get all this infighting and, Partisan politics and all the rest just become great distractions to to hope. Yeah, we've definitely felt that in a very big way. And since that is something that you speak about often publicly, this will not be a political talk show, but I do, mm-hmm. I have been very admittedly convicted and mm. very encouraged by the way that you speak about politics and where Jesus falls in that, where you hope that the church can land in that, and where people succeed and where they fall short. And so if you wouldn't mind talking about that for a little bit, just politics and and Christ and the internet. And, you know, for you, I think you probably have a heavier expectation and burden than you'd probably like to speak on that because you are a public figure and you're a pastor. But for people who aren't, for the normal, you know, Christian going about their lives— like, what's our role in that? That's what I've struggled with is, you know, mm-hmm. what's what's my responsibility to speak out? When is that helpful and faithful? And when is it outrage? Mm-hmm. Or when is it painting a less generous picture of a Christian mm-hmm. than it should? Yeah. Great question. I mean, it's, it's a huge subject that you can approach from a lot of different angles, but I, I think it's probably important to acknowledge on the front end that there there's certain communities, including the community that we live in, 
that might not feel a need for, you know, the political universe to go a certain direction to the degree that more underserved, less advantaged communities might need political systems and systems of power in order to intervene where they can't help themselves because of lack of resources, lack of networks, lack of influence and all the rest. And so I think it's really important to acknowledge that this conversation is not a level conversation for all different, you know, perspectives and communities. And so that being said, from the vantage point of a Christian pastor, I would say that Jesus is teaching on logs and specks where he says, you know, before you remove the speck from somebody else's eye, make sure you contend with the log in your own is a really important teaching to remember when we're entering into political conversations, right? Because no matter what our politics, whether we're right-leaning or left-leaning or somewhere in the middle, any and every system that's created by human beings is going to have good things about it because we're made in the image of God. And, you know, whether, whether we believe or not, we're, we're going to get some things right. We're going to lean in the direction of truth, beauty, and justice because of the image of God that, that, that's in us, but also because we're flawed and broken. And as the Bible would say, sinful, we're also going to miss some things, not only personally, but in the, the systems that we set up, right? And so I think for every Christian, uh, you know, approaching the conversation humbly, approaching the conversation, realizing that there may be things that I don't see because of my situation, because of the situation I was born in, because of the community I live in, and because of my inability to see things through the eyes of those who are in a different set of circumstances. And I, one of the things that you know, you've probably heard me say to our church, which, which is pretty diverse politically, didn't used to be that way, but it's, it's gotten more that way over the years, is that you can, have, you can have two churches that believe the Bible with all their hearts from cover to cover in two different zip codes in any given city, one of those churches, almost every member will say, because I believe in the Bible with all my heart, of course, I, I'm, I'm a red state person politically. And then almost every person in the other church who, who, you know, who also believes the Bible with all their heart from another zip code would say, because of my belief in the Bible, of course, I'm a blue state person. And We've got to draw, you know, one of two conclusions there. Either one group of people just really understands things and, and, and the other group just, just isn't smart enough to understand things. I don't think we want to draw that conclusion. The other conclusion is that one community gets certain things right and misses certain things, and the same is true of the other community. And perhaps if you bring them together in humility with a, with an open Bible in the middle of the table instead of an open newspaper, yeah, yeah right? Yeah. Um, not to diss, you know, news channels and such, but 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 if we assess and evaluate our positions in light of of what the scriptures say, you know, we're going to find that on the left there are certain significant gaps that are found lacking in terms of protecting and advocating for the whole image of God from. From womb to tomb, as we say, and the same is true if 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 you lean to the right, there are going to be certain people groups that get missed, uh, and other people groups that get privileged uh, in the same way. And so, humility, a, a willingness also to be politically homeless. I, I think anybody who's following the whole scripture and the whole Jesus the whole time, you're going to be politically homeless in the world's systems. And you got to be okay with that, even though you might mostly align with one, you know, school of thought politically or philosophy, you're gonna, you're going to be at odds even with your own party uh, in certain ways. Uh, and if you're not, then, you know, you, you might be at risk of turning your politics into your religion. And, and Jesus had a lot to say about that. Um, yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing that I hope gets said to no. me. It was no. not kind. No. no. Well, it was kind, but it wasn't, uh, it, was, it was rough. It was fierce. Yeah, yeah. it was fierce. Yeah. I don't know if you wrote this in the book, or I just heard you say it recently, that we shouldn't ignore politics, but we are called to redeem them. And I feel like that is so beautiful and also seems like where where do you even start? Is it just the humility and, and open-mindedness? Is it gentleness, like your book, A Gentle Answer? I mean, it's not all about politics, but it very divinely came out in 2020, and that's a mm -hmm. huge focus and theme of the book. It is, a, it is a focus in that particular book, and 
I mean, honestly, Maddie, I, I, I'm still figuring it out myself because I still get more worked up than, than I think I should. And, and in some ways not worked up enough, uh, in in other ways. Right. So, you know, like every, like every sphere of, of society, people of faith should be engaged in, in the political process. You know, we shouldn't at all think, well, well, because I'm a Christian, because Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world, then, then I need to remove myself. Well, well, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, but it is in this world and over this world. He's king of everything. Every square inch is, is his. He claims every square inch. And, and so we have to ask ourselves, you know, what, what do we mean? What does Jesus mean for us to mean when he says, pray your kingdom come, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven? And how do we conduct, conduct our lives accordingly to participate with whatever he's doing on earth as in heaven? And what that translates into is is a world that is is as lovely and just and beautiful and life-giving for um, the whole human community as possible mm-hmm. right you know which means for instance um, you know as an American I, I I need to have redemptive loving concern for for people in the Middle East and 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 in you know South America and and you know Asia and other parts of the world right because God's a global God and he cares about as a person in my 50s, I need to have concern for people in their 80s and people in their 20s and people still in the womb, you know, you know, to use our voices, to use our influence, especially locally and, you know, through pro- the proximity of relationships and the influence that we have there and to whatever degree we have opportunity to speak into or vote into the process, right? I love what my friend Michael Ware says he says, you know, even the voting booth is an opportunity to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so to go into, you know, the realms of political engagement, use the influence we have to serve the common good, even at cost to ourselves, if, if, if need be. But these are all principles, yes. you know, I'm not really sure there's a how-to list. Something that spoke to me a lot in that book is just the fact that I think we're our impulse is so often to be louder, to be heard. And mm. you say that, you know, gentleness in this culture speaks pretty loud. Why is taking a gentle approach not a weak approach? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, because these days you'll you'll get filleted for it, right? <laughs> like like gentleness and kindness used to be a popular thing, right? right? Like in the, you know, when there was that whole moral majority movement in the 80s and 90s and younger generations got disenchanted with, you know, their parents being so forceful, co-opting their politics into their religion. And it just kind of turned them off. Like, you know, the younger generations, my generation, Gen X, you know, is like, you we need to be more kind. We need to be more <laughs> civil. But, but now I think the pendulum has shifted. And like my kid's generation is, no, we need to take a stand. Yeah. We need to, you know, put our stake in the ground. And so I, I think, you know, things like civility and gentleness have kind of fallen out of favor yeah. in today's culture. And on the one hand, that is a, a clarion call to be prophetic where we need to be prophetic, especially in defense of the vulnerable and that sort of thing, and in the advancement of things that are true and good and beautiful. But, but at the same time, gentleness is always a fruit of the Spirit in every generation and every age. And so, you know, if we're coming into a a situation where maybe there's debate or conflict or politicking going on, you know, if gentleness is absent, if, you know, if, if the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control are, are absent, you know, we're, we're really coming in probably more with a bully pulpit than we yeah. are with the character of Christ and the posture of Christ. But the thing about the posture of Christ, which includes gentleness, is that it's persuasive. Like, like 90% of persuasion, I think, is 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 posture and then the other 10 percent is logic yeah right because nobody wants to even listen to what is obvious if, if, <laughs> right. if it's coming from a jerk you right. know um especially a religious jerk like yeah. that's that's kind of a double whammy of bad i don't know we can say and jesus jesus does this he says very forceful th- things in a very inviting way mm. you know the only group that 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 he comes across as uninviting to is uninviting people. Yeah. You know, like the scribes and the Pharisees who had their little, you know, exclusive judgmental tribes. Like, like 
he, he would give them a taste of their own medicine yeah, sometimes, yeah. maybe just to help them feel how the rest of the world experiences them, <laughs> you know, but, but other than that, he, he's, he's tender with, you know, Roman centurions who are yeah, putting yeah. him on a cross with, you know, prostitutes. He's so tender. And so I don't know. I think it's an all the time virtue and not just a some of the time virtue. Maybe, you know, open ears is the place to start. Mm -hmm. Open ears may actually open, you know, a heart sometime. So you're saying that listening to people is <laughs> actually a that's good way That's kind of what I heard was I'm hoping that's the right <laughs> translation, but it is hard. But I appreciate the way that you speak to all of that because it is really challenging and I think grieves a lot of people who who try to do it the right way and feel like it's, it's a waste of time even unless you're shouting. So... I appreciate your wisdom on that and really want to talk about Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, which is your most recent book. The subtitle reads, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. And it's been out about six months at this point. It is such a beautiful read. I appreciate you writing it, and it, it obviously hits home to me in a very personal way. You open the book with the words, you suck. <laughs> 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 and the context in which you're speaking them to yourself about something that happened a long, long time ago, um, which I think is is the goal of a first sentence is to draw readers in, right? So I think goal achieved as a writer. Um, why was that the ideal starting place for you? I don't know. I kind of think my grandma would put the book down after reading. <laughs> I don't know if that would have drawn her in. But, but yeah, that, that was just... The book is about you know, three pain points basically and, and how the gospel speaks into all three of them. The first is regret. And that was kind of a, a regret based intro and then hurt and fear. The particular regret that I used those words, you know, toward myself uh, because of, I said those words to myself while walking in Percy Warner Park uh, here in Nashville by myself and the words just came out of my mouth right after a memory popped into my head of something I said to a girl in high school one day in order to get a laugh, everybody else in the room. I said something that was very hurtful to her and that got a lot of laughs as a result. And, you know, it, it, it was just, the, I think, a grief that, that, that I've carried all of my life apparently since that day <laughs> for just knowing that I have the ability to use words to diminish somebody and I've done it, you know, and, and there are, there's a lot there. One is we can learn from our mistakes. You know, number two is our guilt and shame stick with us like, like, uh, like weeds just continue yeah. to come back in, in a yard, you yeah. know, and like weeds, they have to continue to be treated with, with what will push them underground and yeah. diminish them. And that's the grace of God and the redemptive relating that happens between people that hurt and get hurt by each other, which, you know, this is a girl who, you know, she forgave me like in 10th grade, like mm -hmm. I'm like, <laughs> forgive me. I feel so bad. And she's like, will you stop asking yeah. me to forgive you? I already have. And, and yet it's still there, you know, and I'm in my fifties now. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm like, you know, 40 years later and I'm still dealing with that moment, you yeah. know? And that was just, I think an effort to communicate to everybody. Like we all carry with us this not enoughness, this, you know, reality that we fall short of of who we know we ought to be. And there's a grace that's there that, yeah. that meets us in that as we're open to it. So I would love to hear you talk a little bit about the sort of cycle that we live as Christians, which is, as you just mentioned, divine grace for every guilt, shame, hurt, fear, but also the practice of confession and repentance. This is a big part of our liturgy at church, which mm. I admittedly wasn't familiar with when I started coming years ago and was a little uncomfortable mm. with it until I realized how necessary that moment is in my week and how mm. often I forget to do it until we do it on Sunday. And so for people who may kind of, you know, draw back from those words, the big words, repentance mm -hmm. and confession and mm -hmm. sin, what does it look like to do that cycle well? as Christians? And hmm. why is it life-giving? Why is it not 
scary and condemning. Yeah. Well, first of all, we're 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 confessing to a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son so that forgiveness could be had, so that mercy and grace could be accessed. So that's that's sort of the theological reason, but there's also there's an existential like experiential reason. Like just just think about for example, the last time somebody hurt you, said something that injured your your spirit or you know, did something that felt like betrayal and they circled back to you and offered to you the most humble, genuine apology. What did it do to your heart? You know, what what did it do to your insides when that happens? There's a warmth that 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 immediately translates from the confessor to the one who's being confessed to from the one who's saying I'm sorry to the one who's receiving I'm sorry there's a, there's a there's a warmth and a readiness to kind of re-receive you know the relationship and I, I think if we could just get it into our minds and hearts that you know if if our struggling damaged hearts are are open to reconciliation uh, and renewal of joy and intimacy in a relationship on the basis of receiving an apology, it's much, I think it's much easier to receive one than it is to give one. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but to receive a genuine, how much more would a God who calls himself mercy, you know, warm himself yeah. uh, to us every time we, we go to him and just acknowledge, I, I know I'm not what I'm meant to be. And, and, and I, I want to be, that's what confession is. Yeah. It's, it's not so much a, shaming and scolding of oneself as it is the removal of of kind of the internal shaming and scolding that that manifests in kind of defense mechanism strategies right like the reason why we we have such a hard time apologizing or why we do get so defensive is that we know that there's a shame that we carry right yeah yeah. but confession is like a release valve where it's 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 the one and only way to get it out you know And, and between us and god and also as it says in the book of James, you know, confess yourself, your sins to one another that you may be healed. There's a healing property to it. And it's hard to explain. You just have to try it and experience it for yourself. In your life, has learning to live in cycles of confession, daily confession, does that increase your intimacy with God? Kind of in the way that you talk about with one another, I feel like at the end of that vulnerable apology, mm-hmm. you have a richer relationship if both people are kind in that interaction. When it goes through the person and work of Jesus, if I approach God as if he was distant, removed, impersonal, unreachable, it's a much different experience than, than approaching him, you know, knowing that He's the God who came near. You know, here we are in Advent season where we celebrate the incarnation, the coming of Christ, where he becomes one of us, you know, to know that he's the he's the same God who, you know, restored Peter after Peter betrayed him three times and he, you know, did this beautiful restoration. He's even the the one who is kind to those who don't ask for his forgiveness, like Judas. Mm-hmm. You know, the last word, the last, the last word that he used um, to address Judas was friend. You know, even as Judas is about to betray him, friend, do what you came here to do. I don't know when, 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 when there's the awareness that that he's he is that warm even toward his enemies, and how much more, you know, toward those who are with him, as Peter was. That changes, I think, the whole experience of of confession. Well, and I think you quoted something recently from the Dane Ortland Gentle and Lowly, which is probably my favorite book I read it's this a great year. Book. I gifted it at my little girl's yeah. favorite things. Part yeah. of that and a bottle of Italian wine. Like they mm-hmm. really are my favorite things. And they go well together. And they the go well together. The wine, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I and I would botch the quote if I really tried to do it verbatim, but it it basically said that the things that revolt us most about ourselves don't are not just tolerated by Christ, but they actually draw him nearer. And yeah. it's just that mindset shift truly is life changing. Mm-hmm. I, I remember a moment in in sort of the throes of grief and just having so much shame about bad coping mechanisms that I had tried. And 
feeling the physical shame of even, I had spoken to one girlfriend, but like coming to Jesus about it. And this is a Jesus that I've loved since I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And before I could even like utter or lift up my head, it was, he said so clearly like in my soul, just don't hang your head. This is what I died for. Mm -hmm. Like, and it was Mm -hmm. just like a vision of arms wide open and Mm -hmm. I'm the only place you should want to be right now because I'm the only one Mm -hmm. that can get rid of this for you. Yeah, that's a beautiful image. I mean, the psalmist says this, you know, Lord, you're my glory and the lifter of my head. Um, It's, you know, interesting that you would use that image um, because that's precisely what he does. He lifts our head. You know, when when we're bowed down in guilt and shame, he wants to lift our heads out of that place and lift our hearts out of that place. Yeah, that's so good. Um, The second sort of point is grief in the book, which Mm -hmm. obviously I am well acquainted with in these years, as we all are. And I want to read, this is, I think, near the beginning of the book, a passage that I think sums it up so well. And you write, through pain and sorrow, I've been tutored in the counterintuitive nature of his ways. I've learned that the greatest strength comes through the avenue of weakness, the greatest wisdom through the avenue of disorientation, the greatest joy through the avenue of sorrow, the greatest worship through the avenue of doubt. And Mm -hmm. I have felt that in every way. And I think what I hear in that, what I know from you in real life, what I know from the book is that you reassure people constantly that there's hope for hurt and purpose for pain and joy unexplainable and peace that transcends understanding in the the hardest days of our lives mm-hmm. and that they're gifts and they are. And I think what I want to hear you speak to people on is but we still have a role in receiving them. Like what is our role? What is required of us to to open our hands and really not miss the treasure that's in these trials? Mm-hmm. Trust. Trust in what we cannot see and trust in the one whom we cannot see because we understand the nature of his heart and his character. He has done more than enough to demonstrate his heart and his character in what Christ has done on behalf of his people. But it's, it's, it's so counterintuitive because, you know, on the one hand, we're, we're made to thrive. You know, we're made for the Garden of Eden and the new heaven and the new earth. And so, so everything that is foreign to life in Eden before yeah. the fall into sin and everything that's characteristic of the new heaven and the new earth that we're headed toward every everything that contradicts you know those experiences and and that kind of life we rightly resist right like jesus shows up at the tomb of his friend lazarus and jesus has full intent of calling lazarus back to life out of that tomb in just a few minutes but before he does that he pauses and weeps and gets infuriated with death. Um, You've had both of those feelings, 100%. I've had those feelings of of just being infuriated at everything that comes in to vandalize the life that God created us to to live and to have and to enjoy with him and before his face. And so, so that's one side of it. The other side of it is that God you know, Tim Keller, my, my mentor from New York, you know, has often said, God does give the devil some leash, but only enough with which to hang himself. And the way that that hanging happens is when a Christian, because of the promises of the gospel and the presence of Christ, is brought to a place where they can live fully in a tragic place, to quote, another friend of mine and mentor Chip Dodd to live fully in a tragic place. Mm-hmm. You're a great example of that. The the book you've written, the, you know, even, I mean, one of the most memorable moments in our church, Maddie, was when you, you stood up and, and shared about Ben at Ben's funeral and, 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 you know, to just, it, it's, it's a defiance. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a fight. It's a way to fight the darkness, to, to live in hope in the face of, temporary tragedy to live in eternal hope. Um, eternal life has already begun, and, and part of what eternal life you know, means in the here and now is, is, to, is to cling to hope. And you, know, you, you see this in, in Paul's letters in the Bible where you know, he's in prison, and yet he'll, 
he'll defy the experience and the injustice with joy. Mm -hmm. Like Philippians is the letter of joy, yeah, and yeah. he writes it from prison. Uh, he talks about how God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that I think the key word there is together. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've preached on this before where one of my favorite holiday snacks is banana bread. And the key ingredient in banana bread is a rotten banana. <laughs> yeah. um, like there's rotten stuff that 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 is part of the process and and actually is an essential ingredient to what will ultimately after after everything's mixed together and the heat is applied the up the you know the the blistering heat of the oven is applied it comes out this wonderful thing and and it would be significantly less without the rottenness of the if yeah. it was just a plain old banana instead of a rotten banana it would be less yes. and and i think that's a that's a an apt metaphor for how human beings submitted to and surrender to the mercies and promises of god and the providence and sovereignty of god we turn out better having gone through these things. You know, it's like C.S. Lewis says, heaven will work backwards and turn even an agony into a glory. It's just part of how God has said, okay, suffering, okay, evil, okay, sickness, sorrow, pain, and death. I'm going to do some judo on you. Yeah, you, you think yeah. you have power, but I'm going to use your power against you to bring glory to myself and to bring joy to my people and to bring hope to my people. And, and, he does that. I mean, history is filled with it. The whole Bible is written by sufferers. Yeah. And, and so it's almost like a qualification to, <laughs> to, to walk in wholeness is that you have to have gone through the valley somehow or maybe be going through it right now. Yeah. I mean, the brokenness creates the beautiful people. That is the mm -hmm. whole title. That's a, It's a beautiful quote that that came from. I don't remember who it was, but broken people. Or beautiful people don't just have. Oh, that's Elizabeth that? Cooper. Okay, Ross. yes, that's what I was yeah. trying to remember. Yeah. Anyway, would botch yeah. that too. But one thing that I loved in the book specifically, you write about the practices of abiding and beholding, mm -hmm. and I wish you would explain a little bit what those mean because to me, I think that those are some practical actions we can take to foster this joy that is mm -hmm. defiant and and that fights. Yeah. Um, can you talk about those? Well, abiding and beholding really, I mean, on, in practical terms, it, it, it means positioning your, positioning your heart and position, positioning your eyes to, uh, in a committed way, attend to or, or give your attention to the person and work of, of Christ uh, in every facet of your life to notice, you know, who he is, what he's up to, and how, you know, his goodness uh, relates to, to whatever season you're in. In practical terms, that means being a committed churchgoer, Bible reader, praying person, um, you know, fellow, you know, journey goer, yeah. uh, you know, on the destination road to, to the kingdom of God alongside a few faithful friends, you know, limping along the way, falling down and struggling along the way and and continuing to show up again and again and again for the simplicity and goodness and beauty of of just being with the Lord you know we talk a lot in our church about how you know the avenue to becoming like Jesus is to stop trying to be like Jesus and invest your energy in being with him the the theologians talk about the communicable attributes of God, right? His, you know, which is basically the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and all the rest. Communicable attributes are attributes that God passes on to us, right? In the same way that a communicable virus, you know, passes on from one, you know, organism or being or person to another. And the way that you get that virus, right, is you don't social distance, you right? You get, them, yeah. you get close. Um, but the virus that, that God brings is a life-giving one instead of a life sucking one you know, to <laughs> yeah. use that word again and and so um it's just really you know just nurturing whatever those rhythms look like according to your personality according to how you're wired and and what you respond to the best what what it means to you know have a regular diet of the truth and beauty of god especially through the scriptures and especially through the life of 
the church, which is the bride or, of Christ. And, and, you know, you want to know him, you got to know his wife, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. like, you know, you're, you're going to be married. It's like, you know, he said like, well, I, I still want to be in a relationship with you, but I don't want, I don't really want to have anything to do with your new <laughs> husband. I, like you're going to be like, well, you're, you know, I, your access to me is going to be very limited if you, yeah. if you, if you just want to keep away from, you know, my husband, I mean, you, you know what I mean? So I wonder what Christ thinks. And I, I realize a lot of people carry church hurt with them and, all kinds of reasons why they're disenchanted. Maybe they had a hypocritical parent or something that just made church feel fake, you know, or whatever growing up. But I don't know if we could, if we could look somehow past that to Christ himself Mm -hmm. and how much love and affection and patience and endurance he has with his bride, you know, for whom he gave his life and to whom he will always be faithful. I wonder if that might, you know, have a warming effect to, Maybe Christians who want Jesus but not his bride, yeah. you know? Um, but I also understand why totally. f- folks have those struggles as well. You've said before, and you pr- you may be quoting someone else. I realize often that I probably attribute a lot of quotes to you that are actually <laughs> from someone else. Just give it to Gandhi. If you don't know who, <laughs> yeah, you know, or, you know you're always, as Gandhi has said, you're the megaphone I hear said, from. Right. But you have <laughs> said, or maybe someone else has said, to touch on that point, that if you heard a child play Mozart, would you hold it against Mozart? Is basically what it is. Right. That's um, right. And that's that right. really hits home to me. And it it does. It and I will me... claim that one. That okay. Is good. My, that is you. That's one of the make a very note. rare original quotes. But it is so powerful <laughs> to address those that you were just speaking so tenderly to. Is that come back to the person of Jesus, abide and behold, and like you know Annie Downs was just saying to me earlier today, like if you feel distant from the God who let something happen or not happen for you, go back to the Gospels because the heart Mm -hmm. of Jesus will remind you that it's the same heart of Mm -hmm. the Father that you're upset with Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. draw near. Yeah. And it's so powerful. Amazing. For those who are in in a season of hurt or shame or fear, um, everything that you speak about here, one thing that you are good at, I think, is honest limit. You jokingly say you're the only person who loves the book of Ecclesiastes more than any, you know, you're an Enneagram for, you can do the hard emotions. That was a big learning curve for me. And I know is something that a lot of people struggle with or fear that should they be totally honest and open with the depth of their pain, they may not be able to crawl back out. How would you encourage them? Like, what is, what is the good that comes from that? And where would you point them as examples of of good lament? Yeah, I mean, the Psalms are filled with them. I mean, you've got David on the run from Saul, and then later in his life, David on the run from his own son, Absalom. You know, you've got Jesus' own tears, you know, like we talked about earlier in John chapter 11 at Lazarus's tomb. thing about us Americans, Maddie, is that we we, for some reason, we've gotten in our mind that that feelings are, are, are a lesser part of us than the rest of us. And, and in some ways are, are, are things to be ignored or suppressed or kept out of the social equation, so to speak, unless it's happy feelings. Right. And, and, and the thing about it is, and I'll refer back to Chip Dodd again, who, who's, you know, just been a great mentor and counselor to me for the past few years you know his his whole philosophy uh, of of counseling is is based on the fact that there are eight uh, identifiable core human emotions i'll i'll say as many as i can remember right now there's there's gladness and then there's also sadness loneliness hurt fear anger and then two other distressed emotions i can't remember all of them but the fact that God has given us basically eight ways to feel, and seven of them are distressed <laughs> ways to feel, really says something about His care for us. That that he, you know He knows the life we now live is a life that's filled with so much complexity and difficulty and anticlimax and and hard. That He's giving us seven different ways to process all of that. And then one to remind yeah. us of the world we came from and the, and the world we're going yeah. to. And who knows what our emotional composition will look like uh, in, in glory. Maybe there'll be, you know, seven glad emotions and then, and then one remaining, you know, one that feels <laughs> sort of like sorrow, just to remind us of the hope uh. that got us home. But 
you know, I look at the Psalms and the Psalms, I think, are the greatest expression ever given to the human race of what it means to to be fully human and, and to express yourself as fully human. And I, I think that's where the dance is because the Psalms, they're simultaneously filled with the authenticity of lament and the the defiance of yes, hope yes. and the defiance of joy, right? Like, like ultimately hope and joy went out, right? You know, the 13th Psalm, for instance, you know, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Every day I have sorrow in my heart and so on. And then, you know, there's always, almost always the exclamation point mm-hmm. at the end, and yet I will trust in yeah, your unfailing yeah. love. And, you know, the psalmists always seem to bring it back, except in a very few rare cases, they always seem to bring it back to to hope. And, and you know, you got, we got to be careful with that, you know, and, and you know, like we, we want to be very sparing with happy clappy words at a funeral, right? You know, and yet there's an appropriate way to, to sort of enter into that conversation of like, where is this headed? Like this is, this feels terrible right now, but where does God say this is headed? Uh, wh- what does God say is going to, is going to happen to all of this, you know, in, in the days to come uh, under, under Christ, you know? And, and so, I don't know, hopefully we all have a friend or two in our lives that, that can enter in yeah. uh, in our moments of grief and sorrow and shame and all the rest to remind us of those things. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear you say that. The Psalms are the softest place to land, at least mm-hmm. they were for me, and, yeah. and an invitation to feel everything, even, well, especially the things you don't want to feel. Yeah. Okay, before we land the plane, this is something I've started doing and asking people who are in a more mature decade of life than me. Well, let me see if I can find somebody <laughs> that fits that description. But because you're a couple decades ahead of me, I've been thinking often about what wisdom looks like. Mm-hmm. And obviously biblical wisdom, we can learn about that in scripture. But I also think about people who I consider wise and what does their life look like. So I would ask you, how does wisdom look different to you at 50-something than it did at 30-something? Well, that's a great question. Is even like like human development theorists would say, you know, you're, you're after different things in your 20s and 30s than you are in your 40s and your 50s and so on. And I, I, think, I, think, I think what I would want to tell my younger self is, you know, don't take yourself so seriously, right? Like, yeah. like, and live your life in light of your death. You know, like, like there's something very centering about recognizing our mortality. When I, when I turned the corner, you know, and ke- entered into the fifties, the you know, which I've, I've still, God willing, got a lot of life left. Yeah. Right. But you know, some stuff starts to fall apart. Your knee hurts, you know, yeah. in ways that it didn't used to, you can't run as fast, all the rest, you know, and, and suddenly you start hearing the news of friends who got cancer. Like you're in that stage of life now to, to live with the awareness of the fact that, you know, I have been given a certain number of days and a certain number of years, as have all the people around me. Mortality rate is one person for every one person. It helps to make the main things the main things mm-hmm. and things that aren't the main things not the main things, yeah. right? And one of the things that I really wanted when I was, especially in my teens and my 20s, was that I wanted, I just wanted my life to count in 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 ways that I thought you know like in other words have a big audience and big influence and and there's nothing wrong with that stuff right like like if that's what God gives you and chooses for you great but at the same time I look at prophets like Isaiah I'm so fascinated with him and I've become increasingly fascinated with him the older I get because while we look back on Isaiah and say, this dude is a world changer. Mm-hmm. Like, like the world is literally better because of the 66 chapter, short chapters of, this guy, of poetry this guy wrote, right? In his lifetime, he would have never fathomed that. He had an unreceptive congregation, a hostile uh, work environment as a pastor, <laughs> so to yeah. speak. Like, like he had a, the hardest pastor gig that maybe anybody's ever had second only to Jesus uh, and maybe the apostle Paul, like, like it was just one roadblock after another. It was one rejection after another. And we look back and think 
wow, his foolish contemporaries. I mean, look at all this wonderful, hopeful stuff that he wrote, but it's that wonderful, hopeful stuff that was born out of his, his sense of loss and invisibility, yeah. right? Like he, I preached this on Sunday, right? I saw you there. I, I think you came to my communion table on Sunday. So, so you would have heard this this past Sunday that Isaiah, he grew up in a, a very privileged, advantaged, affluent, well-educated, kind of poised to you know, be like the Harvard grad who, you know, runs for office and wins. And, and all of that is stripped away from him by the call of God on his life. And I don't know, to me, that's just very centering to, to see that Isaiah, like, like a lot of, you know, famous artists, yeah. never saw, and, and for that matter, the, the hall of fame of, of faith, people of faith in Hebrews 11, it says in there that none of them saw the fruit of of their contribution in their own lifetime. And, and so that helps me to think, you know what, like if God prospers my ministry for another 15 years and, and the, the best, brightest days are still to come. Great. If God takes me out tomorrow, you know, and takes my voice away, you know, or I get, you know, I get dementia from my mom's Alzheimer's gene, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I will have lived the life that God, purpose me to live and and that's enough and i i don't think it was enough in my 20s or in my 30s or a little bit of my 40s but it's starting to feel more and more like enough now yeah that's beautiful i think that's what everyone really longs to feel is that where they are is enough Mm -hmm. contentment yeah yeah paul called it a secret (laughs) it feels like a secret of being content but he maddie he said I've learned the secret of being content while living in want and while living in plenty. And so it's a, it's a secret no matter what your stage of life. Like you can be crushing it and miserable. Yes. You can be suffering greatly and have joy. It's all about the, the secret, you know, and Christ is that secret. Yes, he is. Yeah. And I hope everyone chooses that mm-hmm. secret. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, last question, because we're all about joy. What is something bringing you joy right now? Big or small? You know what? Um, I mean, I'm sure most of your guests will say, like, my family or my friends. Uh, those, those, let's just let Silly those be obvious. Are welcome. Yeah. <laughs> my dog. Oh, I love my dog. You have a little dog. She's you? high maintenance, needy, <laughs> you know, probably needs, um, you know, medication for her anxiety. Yeah. Like, but, yeah. But she is, she's just so there. She's yeah. steady, you know, and, She's just the kindest creature, and I love her. Yeah. I get that. She's tiny. She's in a little wimp. Way. Yeah, she's yeah. a little wimp. But well, I you're love a girl her. dad. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you need that. And she's a girl dog. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Her name's Lulu. Lulu. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> what kind is she? She's a Havanese. Yeah, okay. a little pipsqueak. Sweet. So yeah. Well, Scott, I really appreciate you and your heart mm-hmm. and your time. It just you always leave feeling lifted up. Mm-hmm. Thanks, man. I appreciate. Likewise. Thank you. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. Hey, y'all, if you're loving the show, go find that little follow button or plus sign on your podcast app. This will ensure you don't miss a single episode. See you next time.